That's a hockey, you know, it's only, it's only game. Young men expressing themselves for joy. Why do you have to be mad? These guys are jerks. It's only game. It's a cheap dirty game. It's only game. Why do you have to be mad? Greetings, Cacupful fans. It's the final day of unique season, and of the over 300 participants, 14 had climbed their way into Tier 1 for this year. And of those 14, one has just been crowned the ultimate fantasy hockey champion, Dustin. How does it feel to have successfully climbed this mountain? Well, you never know, John. There could still be a, a five-goal game at a Fabri. I'm only up by about 20 points, so it might be too soon to call it, but I'm feeling pretty good about it, i got to say. So we're happy to have everyone here for the reunion show for the final episode of the Stat Attack podcast this season, where we talk about the cupful and everything going on. Uh, Dustin was up against Ben in the finals this week. And so, Dustin... How did you feel this week? Can you walk us through your emotional state throughout the different stages of this week? It was a long week. I was an emotional wreck for most of it. And it was a really volatile week. I had a great Monday and then Ben had an amazing Tuesday. And it felt like every other day it was going back and forth, back and forth. I managed to hold a lead for most of the week, but it was really close for for the majority of it. So uh, yesterday was just the pinnacle of everything. Right. I think at one point uh, the projection started to flip and I was feeling real nervous. I was up all the way to the end of the games here in London. So about five in the morning, just uh, watching those points trickle in. But it feels real good now. For real, like you couldn't go to sleep because you were no. watching the game. No, I passed the time playing chill with the boys, but uh, couldn't uh, couldn't go to bed knowing that I had uh, my season on the line. Do you stress out a lot during the year over things or what things in general? Yeah. Like, like, but with your fantasy leagues. Yeah. I mean, I'm a little bit obsessive. I think it's probably a good attribute to have with this kind of thing, but uh, you know, I mean, I think uh, in general, I, I probably try to overanalyze things, not try to, but end up doing that. And uh, usually serves me a little better if I can. So you've joined a unique group here. There's only a few people that have ever been the ultimate champion of the Cacupful, Dustin. So can you maybe chart us your path a little bit through the Cacupful? How'd you join up? How long have you been here? How'd you rise through the ranks? Oh, wow. Well, it's been a really good string of luck. I was reminiscing a while back on my path. I think I've been in the Cacupful for five years. First year, I joined uh, Tier 6 back when it was a ladder, not a pyramid, so it was a bit easier to climb. But I uh, I won that year, Tier 6, even though I spent the entire season without uh, a roster filled. I think I realized in end of March that I was missing a roster spot for about four months, but I still managed to take it home. I jumped up all the way to Tier 2. Uh, played in a tier with Elon and I lost to him in the semifinals. So I ended up placing third, but lucky me, Elon decided to be uh, a good man and uh, give up his tier one spot because he didn't want to be in the same tier as Brian. So uh, I think I won a coin flip between the other third place finisher and the other tier two league. And so it was a little bit of luck that I even got into tier one. Uh, 
I've been in tier one three years now, and it's it's been okay. I've had kind of mediocre, middle of the pack runs. I think I finished fifth one year and seventh one year. But uh, even last year, I finished uh, seventh and I was in the consolation. And it was only by luck that the season ended that I ended up getting that seventh place uh, to avoid relegation. So had uh, Elon and Brian decided to determine relegation a different way, I might not even be in tier one this year. So a lot of luck along the way. And then this year, it seemed like every week things were going my way. So somebody's uh, you know, smiling on me up there. Well, I think your your season started off with David Pasternak coming off the IR earlier than most people would have expected. So when when you went into the draft, was that something you were thinking of? This is someone I want to target? I thought he was going to go below value. Ultimately, I thought, uh, you know, it's going to be such a competitive league. You really got to take a risk and a good way to get great value. Um based on an auction draft is to try to target some of those guys where you're going to have a bit of risk. Um, I was targeting pasta for sure. I got him for 45 bucks, which is probably 10 bucks below his value. Uh, there was a lot of worry on guys like Gabriel Landeskog, who was playing on the second line at the time. And I got him for, I think, 26, which was pretty good value for someone who finished in the top 25. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I, I think I nailed quite a few picks and, and there's a little bit of risk involved with that. I'd like to say I did the same with the Vander Kane, although I think the news with his, his bankruptcy and his personal financial problems came out a bit after the draft. Um, but there was a lot of that going in and I figured, you know what, throw these, uh, risks down. And if they pan out, then I'm in really good shape. If not, then, and I come 14th in tier one, I'll just chalk it up to uh, steep competition mm-hmm. and that that'll be my excuse. Well, and for your $20 investment in Evander Kane, he provided the most cupful points for you all season. He yeah. 274 and three quarter cupful points as of uh, uh, before yesterday when I downloaded all this information here. Uh, so that was a huge return on that investment. Like you said, Landeskog at 26, Bergeron at 29, Stone at 32, Hedman at 36. All of these guys provide you a nice solid you know, five plus cupful points per game. And, uh, and when it came to goalies, it seemed like you really benefited from Varlamov playing both better and probably more than I think most people might've expected. Yeah. I had no idea. I mean, I was high on Varlamov for a long time. I didn't understand really why there wasn't any more demand for, you know, a veteran goalie on possibly the best defensive team in the league. Uh, I think I got him for three bucks. And even if he split, I think his rate stats were good enough that he was providing good value when he was playing. And I think he might have edged out Sorokin for games played over the course of the season, possibly. So, yeah, I was pretty happy with him. But I mean, even in in week 14, I had to drop him for for Leonard, who I thought at the time was going to get a few more games played and, and nobody picked him up. So I picked him right back up for week 15 and he got me a couple of shutouts. So. Uh, no love for Varlamov among tier one participants for some reason. I don't understand it. I, I I wonder people are concerned, you know, how many games does he play? But at some point, if you're getting shutouts every other game, it doesn't matter how many games you play. You're, you're getting 12, 14 points a night or whatever. Um, and you, you, you got him for $3. Now, that yeah. said, on the goalie side of things, you also picked up Carter Hart for 16. I did, yeah. 
Probably the only blemish looking back on my auction day. I was really worried about the Hedman pick with 36. I think that was the, mm. the fourth most expensive defenseman off the board, but that seemed to have worked out based on his performance. Carter Hart was a miss, but I still like Hart. I think the team has something to give. And uh, if the, uh, the pattern of making the playoffs one year and not making the playoffs the next year has anything like it continues, then uh, maybe that's someone I'm targeting next year. And so I, I wonder, mm-hmm. sorry, go ahead, Elon. I was going to say, like, I feel like it's almost like if you were able to get one goalie that worked out really well for you and one goalie that didn't, it's almost like you're fine because a lot of us were dropping goalies left and right and you were able to yeah. ride Varley to a lot of points throughout the season. So even if Carter Hart didn't work out for you, uh, not too bad. I held on to Hart for a lot longer than I should have. I think he stayed on my roster till week 11, to week 10, week 11. He, uh, he had a long leash for me for some reason, but I like him. I think he's got some more to give. I think Elon's point is valid. In a league of this size, so this depth of available players and the way the couple points kind of work, and again, goalies have been kind of reduced in value over the years. Like Everyone's kind of view of them has gone down, that hitting one big goalie as opposed to two mediocre goalies is probably more valuable for you and brought you a lot more uh, benefit than if you'd had like a, someone better than Hart, but someone not as good as Varlamov. Yeah, that's a pretty good point. That that tends to work out if you don't hold on to Carter Hart for that entire time. If I just cut bait that's with true. him in week two or uh, you know maybe week four, week five, when he really started to fall apart and picked up just a uh, replacement level skater, yeah, that would have been fantastic. And maybe I would have finished a bit higher in the league uh, long point output. Uh, it also seems like you didn't get bit a lot by the injury bug. So yeah, none of your big players seem to spend any extended periods of time out of the lineup. That was probably helpful as well. Yeah, um, more of the uh, the luck coming in. Had a, a few weeks with some issues with um, with postponed games due to COVID, uh, but no real significant injuries. A couple of games here and there, I think Bergeron lost a key game in the in the playoffs, but I'm talking about individual games here. So honestly, uh, I think the the luck with the injuries was really good this year. And then looking at your like low dollar swings, you had uh, for $2, Duchesne, Eric Stahl, Guryanov, $1, Coleman, Murphy, Stasny. Any of those guys stand out to you as... Guys that meant None anything to you over the season, you eventually None just dropped them. them all. No, when I look at an auction draft, I realize uh, over the course of a season, I'm going, I'm going to manage my team enough that I'm going to want the roster flexibility anyway. So I see those guys as all replacement. The bottom seven guys on my roster are not guys I'm going to keep. I think I got pretty good return out of Guryanov in week one and two, so I was able to flip him for in a in a deal for Pulak. Uh, but other than that, I don't think any of those guys really stayed on my roster for any meaningful time. So is there a point in this season where you said to yourself, hey, I might actually have a better chance than not of winning this whole thing? Uh, maybe around like week six, when I was six and zero, oh, I was feeling pretty good. And then Tom Crowhurst had something to do with it or something to say about that. But uh you know, once I went through half the season and I hadn't had a loss yet, I was like, uh, things are going pretty well. I've got some tough matchups coming up for sure. But if I can, you know, split those, if I can split the next four, maybe, then I've got a pretty good shot with a buy going into the playoffs and then anything can happen. 
And I trust myself to set up my team enough through the bye week that, you know, all of these have the advantage going into at least the semis. That's excellent. So uh, your opponent this week was Ben, who uh, isn't able to be with us right now, I don't believe. I don't think Ben's on the call. Yeah, he said he uh, might try to make it at some point. He had a work thing come up. I just have a quick question I wanted to ask, like related to something Dustin said. I think it was interesting because Dustin's being super humble, being like saying like so much luck came into his win. I'm curious to know for like other people on the panel, like how many people feel like luck is the main reason for their loss versus, you know, like I messed up, like I made a bad move. Like I'd be curious to know if anyone else feels like, man, this would have been mine, except like this one key injury hit me at the worst time or something like that. Is it about to, you take the blame yourself or do most of the time you just chalk it up to, well, I made the best decision I could at the time, you know, it, 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 the rest is chance. Yeah, exactly. Anyone have any thoughts on that? Um, I might jump in there and just say that like my own personal strategy was to, you know, not overpay for guys in the draft, which left me with a lot of mid range guys. Um, a lot of whom I then lost during the season. Well, not a lot of whom, but, you know, a few of whom I lost during the season. And uh, it, it kind of made me rethink my strategy for next season a little bit. Um, the postponed games, I don't know. It's hard to quantify for me how the look went. Was I more lucky than my opponents? Was I less lucky? Uh, and then also you obviously have the the schedule look um, where you, you happen to be playing a guy who, you know, doesn't doesn't score too well against you on the week. But um in terms of injury luck, I felt like I had bad luck in terms of postponed games. Uh, I probably broke even. And in terms of schedule luck, I think I had a bit. So I think over the course of the season, it played out pretty neutral for me. I'll say this though, Mark, like looking at your draft here and you're right, you didn't spend more than $30 on anyone. You had 13 guys that you spent $10 or more on. Um, but at the end of the day, you had just you had just as many points, if not more than uh, Dustin, uh, like accumulated a couple points accumulated throughout the year. Right. So, you know, between injuries, between randomly who you end up playing. And again, this is a tight league. Dustin finished the season at nine and three. There were four of you right behind him at eight and four. You know, so it really was anyone's, game like Elon for example you got you accumulated the most couple points of anyone in the division by far with with over 3200 points to Dustin had just over 3000 like how how do you feel being in the third place game even though you had accumulated <laughs> all the points the thing is like i could just be like oh head to head sucks it's so unfair but it's like i did actually have this in my hands because as we were talking about like off the air I had a matchup against Dustin in week two that if I could have beaten him in that week, then I would be in first place and I would have played, I guess, I don't know, I would have been playing Ben in the finals here and it would have been a whole different story potentially, or I guess who knows what Dustin would have done if he didn't get the buy and how he would have done in the quarters and semis. Uh, so yeah, I blame it on myself, but I also blame it on uh, Kevin Fiala getting suspended. That was unjust. Either... Don't suspend him, or if he's suspended, let me stash him in an NA or IR plus spot. Come on, Yahoo. Uh, one player that really jumped to my mind, by the way, I just remember seeing a lot of... Uh, I mean, this was like the season of like bad luck, right? And I remember Jeff was really hit hard with those North Division uh, games being postponed and like the Canucks being 
you know, going on that long COVID lead. And then like, I know you were riding McDavid and then McDavid only had like that, like one game week and two game week. What, Logan? Yeah, I was like third in total points with three weeks to go. And then that happened. Yeah. So uh, I just I lost out. (laughs) It's wild because I remember at the start of the year, Jeff, you were like really sort of benefiting from the good luck because you were like mostly North Division teams. And you were like saying in the chat how like you know you had a or correct me if i'm wrong i believe you like made an effort to draft northern division teams because you thought maybe covid wouldn't hit you and then look what uh, happened it's crazy. no not because of covid because their goalies and defense are bad right and i thought it was going to be the highest scoring division and it was like that part of the process worked like i led the i led i had the highest point total uh of the week three times this year yeah. including against you Oh my God, that was, that was honestly, I think that my team, uh, this is the last thing I'll say, unless uh, uh, John wants to ask me more like about my team, like my, I think my team spiraled and it started with like, you destroyed me and then like Lewis destroyed me. And then I started getting really nervous that I might miss the playoffs. And that's when I traded Tom Tavares, like, cause I was nervous about him only having two games one week. And then I also like dropped. I don't know. I feel like I freaked out. I think I would have made the playoffs even if I did lose that week to Ben. And I probably should have just held like Tavares. And uh, I also traded Taylor Hall to Kyle Palmieri, which did help me win a matchup. But maybe if I would have been able to sneak through, I could have like actually benefited from having in the playoffs Hall and Tavares, who I like to Hall obviously turned out really well. So, uh, yeah. But, but I think that's the interesting thing about your team is that a different from Dustin, who, you know, took some big swings and they all really paid off. You took Zabinijad, Hall, you know, uh, Fiala, Riley. Like, I, I don't think a lot of these guys were as successful as you had originally hoped them that they would be. And yet you still were able to wind up with the most points in the division. Uh, it's too bad Jordan's not here. He was like offering me Pedersen for uh, Zabinijad, like all throughout the season. And I kept on like becoming so close to accepting it. I know Brian was like telling me I should have accepted it. And then like the way things turned out, obviously Zabanjad heated up. And then I think who ended up with Pedersen? I know he like kind of went around a few people took their turns on him. Do we know where he landed? Maybe it's obviously not a good end where he didn't. He wound play. up with Jesse. Ah. Oh, Ben. I wanted here. him to wind up with me, but uh, Ben kept countering me. I think Ben countered me three times this season. You and get the, I was obviously right to target counters. you, Dustin. Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, yeah, I see three trades that you actually went through with, Dustin. With Jeff, you got Horvat and Myers for Zadina and Severson. With Dave, you got Malkin and Yandel for Stassing and Pulak. And with Elon, you got Sagan for Palmieri. So I'm not sure any of that did much for you. Well, yeah, not uh, Sags or Malkin for sure, because they didn't play a game for me. Would have been nice just to get him in on the Saturday, just to say that I did it for something. But I didn't actually give up guys that I would have rostered anyway. They wouldn't have made it to my playoff roster. So didn't feel like it was a huge loss. Horvat was nice. I feel like he may, he might have uh, performed above replacements in the, uh, the handful of games that I had him for. So thanks, uh, Jeff, for that. But yeah, I mean, lots of my trades didn't really provide a lot of tangible value. I didn't really make a big, lot of big swings that way. And and you didn't you didn't make any trades right until up near the deadline too. 
Is that... I had one earlier. I had, uh, yeah, I had I traded Gurionov and uh, oh, okay. Justin Falk for Ryan Pulock and Cal Parmeri. So a bit of a wash, not really making any waves there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I want to get I want to get Tom in here for a second because Tom is actually in the other super relevant uh, matchup this week, which was the battle for seventh place against uh jordan i believe yeah and so seventh place is critical because since jeremy and tier two won the fast track which gets him automatic promotion but he also won promotion on its own as well that means whoever's in seventh doesn't get relegated out of tier one so tom how is it going uh, it's another week of me being beat by probably the top point getter in the week. Uh, I will be, I think, tier two. So uh, look out, tier two. Here I come. Uh, it's been uh, similar to Dustin. It's been a pretty chaotic week of a lot of ups and downs. Um, yeah, it's, it's upsetting. I, I, I was hoping to kind of pull it off because my team was kind of streaking there at the end. Uh, but I ran into a lot of hot hands this year. Uh, I don't think I can count how many times I like ran into like a top five team of the week. Uh, I'd always be like sixth to ninth and never come away with the W. That makes a lot of sense. Um, Coming out of the draft, like you were very goalie heavy. You'd spent big on Vasilevsky. You spent big on Hellebuck. Was that your strategy? And do you like that strategy based on what happened? I actually can't complain. Uh, it wasn't really my strategy. I saw the numbers being super low and was like, I think these are going to, these two goalies especially will pay off. And they did. They did. Uh, so yeah. I'm not upset with that because Vazzy and Helly did really, really well for me. Um, I think similar to kind of Marcus, I had the same strategy of like kind of get a lot of mid tier, hope for some upswings. And then, you know, if people have to leave, they have to leave. Um, but I was hit by postponed games. It felt like every week. Uh, hit by injuries, random suspensions where I had to drop people to try to make a run. Uh, I feel like I was constantly battling things um, and like little things of like changes happening right before a game. Uh, and then it would change the whole swing of a week. You made a couple deals throughout the year with uh, with Elon Hall. You got Hall for Eberly and you got Tavares for Meyer and Eric Carlson. And those were truly just to kind of stock up for the consolation. Uh, I kind of saw the end. I think uh, Lewis had a really good week there at the end where I needed that to get into sort of contention for that sixth spot. Uh, he was having a, a good week and a little bit of help from his buddy, Ben. Um, but uh, so I decided to make a couple swings to, to help me later on for that seventh spot. Um, and they, they paid off decently well. That's awesome. Did you, uh, do you have a takeaway for next year? Uh, don't auction draft. Uh, <laughs> not. Um, no, I, I probably wouldn't go. I'd probably go one heavy goalie. Uh, if you can in a, in a good sort of, if there's a good price range. Um, but realistically this year was so like kudos to Dustin. This is such a hard year to win. I felt like not only like just week by week trying to keep up with guys and like, and do good moves, but trying to keep up with that. But also just like the mental exhaustion of this year was so much difficult, so much harder than previous years where I felt really into it by 
kind of halfway through the year, I was just gassed, like truly just keeping up with everything and trying to fight things. I was just gassed and kind of checked out to some degree. Um, so I think kudos to Dustin and everyone else that did really, really well. Um, this was just a tough year. So it, it's hard to really base my strategies when I like, I look at me compared to others. Uh, I think I had like eight going against eight times going against like a top five team in a week. Um, where I would be just under them or around that. So I, I can't really complain or change strategy too, too much. Kind of stick to my guns. Tom, Elon, me, yeah, I was going to say, Tom, correct me if I'm wrong. You came from tier three last year, jumped straight up to tier one. So I guess it's only fitting that now you take a round in tier two before you, you come back up here to get the full couple experience. I'm uh, being sent down to the AHL. So uh, <laughs> put my time, I'll come back up soon, swinging hard. Right, yeah, you um, jumped up from the O right to the big leagues, and now you're going to spend some time <laughs> with the pros. Exactly. Seasoning. I, I want to get to Ben, because I don't know if we, we have him for a short period of time or not. Ben, you just spent the finals watching things go up and down, and uh, it looked like on Saturday there might have been a chance. How are you feeling during the week? Uh, oh God, such a tough question to answer. Um emotionally like i think that this week was very difficult to come into after my matchup with elon because it was just like that was so exhausting already and that featured so many ups and downs that once i finally had the nail in elon's coffin there was a huge emotional wave that sort of like left me feeling kind of uh unprepared for this week and then, you know, it starts right away. But the nice thing about the finals week is that there is no long term. So you don't really like I say that I, I felt unprepared for that week, but I really just had to put in one claim. Right. I had a I had an empty slot because I think it was Ghost got hurt on Sunday. And so, you know, I threw in a, an ad and it was really just to call back to what Tom just said, like the season was so exhausting. There were there were so many times where I just felt burnt out and, you know, playing during the pandemic is is unfun, I would say, relative to previous years. The competition of Tier 1 made this incredible and made this an uh, extremely fun season. Um, but I definitely, you know, I would take playing in a non-pandemic year any any day over uh, going through the gauntlet over the past few months. But basically, it was just nice this week to not really have to tilt too hard over any of the decisions I made because I they weren't there were no long-term consequences. So... I, uh, my one regret is that I didn't spend an ad on, on, uh, Saros on Monday. I figured, oh, he's probably not going to play both sides of the back-to-back. He did. And then of course he, he delivers the shutout last night. I definitely should have uh, added Saros, but you know, other than that, I, uh, midweek, I felt like I was probably done. Uh, things were looking pretty dire and then started to get my hopes up just a touch on Saturday. Um, but I, I had already pretty much accepted and processed a little bit of that defeat. So, uh, it felt like, you know, I felt like I had some money in the bank just by having a little bit of a chance last night overall, though, I was just glad that I was able to go to sleep at a normal time last night because I, I had pretty much lost hope by the time the late game started and I worked early this morning. So I, I just really didn't want to have to stay up all night, just tilting my face off and then find out that I lose, you know, at two or 3 a.m. local time. So yeah, no, overall, I had a good week. I enjoyed being in the finals. It's just, whew, it's a gauntlet. You made, you made a lot of deals this year. 
um, with a bunch of different people. You acquired a lot of players. You traded some of those players again. You acquired Backstrom. You traded Backstrom. You acquired Pedersen. You traded Pedersen. Like, what's your motivation for making deals? Are you just there trying to eke out a little bit of extra from a slot than another guy that you think does? Are you trading guys that you're like, I don't like this guy anymore? Are you trading guys because you're like lost a week and you're panicked? What is your reasoning for trades? Yeah, I think the first thing that you said there, um, this tier is, it's very difficult to find advantages. I'm in a lot of leagues. This is the only one where I don't feel like I really have like any particular innate advantage over another team, whether it's, you know, strategy or or timing or, or whatever it is. But it's, you know, com- going into the draft, I had really very little strategy. I had some tiers and I, I, I winged it. Uh, did not like my team coming out of the draft. So I felt like I was going to have to make moves. And and I really just looked at trades this year as a way to find some amount of marginal uh, improvements uh, in my roster. And uh, yeah, in previous years, I haven't made very many moves. I think I played a little bit scared in the past. And this year I just decided like, there's not enough time to get scared. You just got to go for it. And and so I just played as hard as I could to win. And uh, that's kind of what my motivation was to make moves. So if we're going to talk about trades, though, of course, we probably should talk to Dave Benton because Dave Benton is the cause of most trades, apparently, in tier one. Of the 22 trades I saw in tier one, uh, you appear to have made 12 of them, Dave. So... Uh, what what is your your reasoning for the deals you make? Why do you why are you the kind of player that likes to make so many deals? Uh, well, I mean, especially this year, I typically wouldn't trade this much, uh, but I was very aware of the fact that there was just twelve matchups this year, and so just after the third week, where typically you'd be like, "Oh, well, that's nothing," but I was like, "Geez, we're a quarter of the way through here." Um, and I definitely made some panic trades, uh, some, and then other times I just, when I had my big splurge of trades in the middle of the year, it was just to trade at that point, but through counters, I was able to get some, some decent deals there. But, uh, yeah, at this point I was def- definitely feeling the pressure and just trying to make things happen more times than not, not, not necessarily. And a lot of times it was just trades to kind of bait people into counters. And there were a lot of counters in tier one this year. For anyone who's not aware of the mechanic, whenever a deal is put through on Yahoo, the, everyone else in the league has 24 hours to make a counter offer for uh, to one of those managers for the exact same players. And there were a bunch of counters throughout the year. There was also a flurry of counters right uh, near the end of the, the trade deadline there. And that seemed to cause a little bit of consternation in the uh, Discord chat there. Dave, I believe you might have been a little... Uh, upset at some of yeah. the countering that was going on. I got, I got hoodwinked. I got bamboozled. I got betrayed by my good buddy, Ben. And I felt used. <laughs> How do you feel about that, Ben? Well, I, I honestly thought that, well, I, first of all, I feel like everything that I did was legal. Um, I made a trade with, originally I made a trade with Jesse. Uh, it was in a must win week for me. And um, at the beginning of the week, I appeared to be in a in a very safe position. And then as the week uh, came closer to the end, actually, I was I was matched up against Dave, um, I believe, at this point. And uh, um, in doing the trade, I had to you know, I was trading for Pedersen 
or I was trading Pedersen rather, and I was trading him for Fab. And to trade a player, you need to be able to receive a player back because of the Yahoo mechanic. And so in uh, putting through the trade, Pedersen being on my IR, I was adding a new player to my active roster. So I was going to have to drop a player to make the deal. And then a day or two, I guess the next day, um, I had a I had a roster spot open up because another player went on IR. So I, I sort of thought to myself, this sucks. Is there any way that I can avoid having to drop Christian Dvorak, who has a Sunday game, you know, which could end up, if things continue to tighten up, it could end up costing me my week, could cost me my playoff spot. Um, and so what I did was I, I went to look for counters to see if I could get out of my trade. In my mind, my hope was that I would be able to renegotiate the trade that I had to receive $40 fab. But before doing that, I, I wanted to uh, to at least make sure that I wasn't going to lose another game played that week. So I went out, I asked a few folks, you know, would you counter this Pedersen deal? Dave answered quickly, which is part of why I like dealing with Dave is that he's not afraid to sort of make offers. He's not afraid to give, you know, to make a swap. Uh, a lot of people are, and that's that's totally fine, but that is a different strategy. And so Dave ended up taking a counter. Um, once the counter was made, I, I reached back out to Jesse, you know, uh, made the made our new counter uh, for a similar deal to the original. And I understand that that uh, hurt Dave's feelings. He, he felt very betrayed and hoodwinked, which I get it from the perspective. We worked together quite a bit on deals throughout the year, but I felt like it was very much something that Dave had done to me earlier in the year when he uh, accepted a counter from me uh, in a deal that he had with Dustin before immediately accepting essentially the same deal from Dustin for $5 fab extra. So in my head, it was, you know, an identical situation, but obviously Dave uh, did not enjoy it. And, and I felt bad for, for putting, for making Dave feel like I, you know, was using him. I feel like John, since I asked you to host this reunion show and was saying like you should be doing a Jeff Probst impression on a survivor reunion. I feel like it's your job now to be like, so how are you guys now? Like, is there any bitter yeah. bitterness? <laughs> we, we do not talk. Dave <laughs> blocked me on all social media. He has revoked my uh, invite to future stream scheme episodes. No, I'm just, I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. Kidding. And I was, and I was mainly being such a, like a jerk admittedly after the fact, just because since I was used, I was trying to like get around the rules to somehow not let it go through. And so I was definitely kind of playing it up there just to try Working and get the rest. Back at them. Well, and well, yeah. your big complaint was that it was actually going past the trade deadline, right? Because the trades kept going back and forth and they could be countered. The trade deadline had already passed. And you're like, this could just ping pong back and forth all the way to the playoffs. Yeah. So I, I can point out as like, like commission, I, Brian and I, I don't think we've like confirmed this yet, but we talked about, it. I'm pretty sure we're going to have to, we're going to be making a change to the rules next year. This isn't a hundred percent, but maybe we'll call it Ben's rule or Dave's rule or something. But I think we're just going to be like no counters, like any trade that happens, you know, after the trade, like, you know, once the trade deadline passes and Yahoo doesn't let you put in trades, then it's like no counter offering the trades. And then it's just like regular veto processes. Cause that was very annoying because also then there was like, we have to put in the trade manually, but then we couldn't because like someone, like I think Jesse needed to drop a player in order. So then we're like, we both had to drop someone yeah. and it was like players, who, the only players we had to drop were players who were going that day. And it was like this thing of like, so I am going to have to end up dropping somebody even like anyway. Yeah. It was, it was craziness. So is there, is there I anyone? I personally don't think we need a check. trade deadline. <laughs> oh yeah. And I mean, considering like someone was, uh, Tom was like talking about loading up for the relegation playoffs. Like, 
no no one's really eliminated until until the playoffs happen. So I guess it's not like people are dumping players for that, you know, because they're out of it. It's true. And with the counter mechanic, even if you did sell, try and sell someone off, someone else could make a better deal. But I mean, 13th and 14th are out of it. Yeah. According to the Yahoo, like you could just like lock people, lock teams when they're eliminated. Yeah, Yahoo does that automatically. So, yeah. like, there's a setting. So, okay, I'm, I'm at. I have a list of rule change <laughs> ideas to consider over the summer. So, I'll put that in. No, I don't know. Problem. I don't know. I feel like that is more. Is that even crazier, unexpected rule than last year when I proposed no benches? And <laughs> one one of you, I think Brian was like, "I love that. I've been saying that for years." And Elon's like, "No one will play this game if we get rid of benches." Uh, well, just because I added this uh, suggestion to the list. I, we add like 10 suggestions to the list every oh, year yeah. and implement like one every two years. So <laughs> we'll see. Elon, having played an FHT now, has that changed your opinion on no benches? Okay, so that's interesting. I'll be curious to get your thoughts. Like you're all like the biggest fantasy experts. And by the way, let me reiterate again how crazy this league was. Like it's wild that people like, you know, Jeff and Dave and Tom didn't even make the playoffs when we're talking about like, you know, like really amazing fantasy players. I guess that's what's going to happen when you have all winners coming into a division. But uh, so I was, we were talking about no benches. Yeah, we're in this one league where there's no benches on fan tracks and you just like draft a super deep league, but that also included a maximum number of goalies. You're only allowed three goalies. Um, like in Cupful, it would be weird because if we did no benches, then theoretically we would have to then just have two goalie spots, I guess, in which case uh, you would have to uh, like only... No, like- no, no. Why can't you have more goalies if you want to? Like it's Yahoo doesn't prevent players. Even if you have no bench... Yahoo doesn't prevent players from being on the bench. Oh, it's just, I see. Then there's an open slot. So you'd have an open util slot or whatever in your thing because there's a random guy on your bench. Like I can take guys off. You can go on right now and take all the players off your roster and you just have dashes True. there. That's a good point. So you're saying like I could still draft four goalies. Yep. And but then you're just taking away from active spots. But the advantage of the advantage of drafting four goalies is slightly less because now when I draft all skaters, every single one of my skaters will play every night. Let me tell you one advantage of having no benches that I just thought of recently, which is like beyond like I know, uh, John, you had like suggested like mathematical reasons why it's actually not even an advantage to have it in terms of fairness. But another reason I just realized is like a big part of commissioning the couple is checking to see if people are setting their lineups because you don't want to have an unfair matchup where people have like players on their bench. So if you just guaranteed that everyone's rostered players are always getting points. Yeah, there could still be teams that aren't managing their teams, like not putting injured players in IR and like that kind of thing. But it would kind of make things more fair in terms of like an inactive team because you know we might not catch it for a week so at least an inactive team wouldn't totally be a guaranteed loss like it is uh currently so yeah it's a it's on the list it's already on the list actually but i didn't think about this idea that we wouldn't that the goal you'd still be able to have more goalies so we talked about trades and counters i wanted to know if anyone here has ever refused a counter because they're like i don't want to be that guy that accepts a counter or has anyone here made a pre-deal where they're like, we're not accepting counters on this? Oh, yeah. In a lot of my trades, it's like we're saying that we're going in like no counters and stuff like that. And I'm like, I'm blatantly lying, but <laughs> I'm hoping that the other person is staying true to their word. So tier two, watch out. Or or what tier are you in next year, Dave, at this point? 
Uh, three, I think. Unless some people three. drop out there. Oh my goodness. Honest Dave Batten. <laughs> Honest Dave Batten. I want to Captain commish that league, please. Yeah, we'll definitely have to figure that would be wild to imagine. It's hard to imagine like any of you, like not in tier one or tier two, you know, it's just like the who's who. Uh, hey, Marcus, I was curious to ask you if you don't mind, like how, what was it like, like being the host of the stat attack and then, you know, for one year and then like being in tier one the next year and like the podcast is sort of like that you did is now like you're in the main league of one year. Like, was, I don't know, was there anything surreal about that? Uh, yeah, I suppose it was a little bit surreal. Um, the biggest thing for me is just the the workload the workload of being in tier one in terms of prep for the auction draft in terms of just staying on top of your game and and you know staying particularly when you're based on this side of the atlantic staying in touch with what's happening in the nhl because you know i, I don't watch it every night um if i get to watch maybe two games a week i'm, I'm lucky um and that's generally the weekend matinees so uh, but then having to do the work for the for the podcast as well um it's it's just a lot of work um but yeah it, it was great like it's great to be able to chat so the the whole genesis i suppose of the stat attack podcast was to speak to the guys who who know the game best and who perform best so uh, getting to talk to dustin this season and tom last season and you know the guys whose team names are appearing at the top of the the fast track standings shall we say or the the overall points leaderboard throughout the entire couple um i've learned so much from speaking to guys on that and you know some of it is is uh some of it is is practical tips where they're saying you know they're giving you advice on on things that you can do to improve yourself um but some of it also is just a feeling and understanding you know what kind of people make good fantasy hockey managers and you know all of you guys and you're in the top tier for a reason and it's uh, it's been a real privilege to be there this season and to be able to like even to get top four this season was was massive for me i was I was under no illusions that this was going to be difficult. I'd never done an auction draft before, so it was it was all brand new to me. I put a lot of time in, and uh, between the stat attack, um, speaking to all the guys last season, um, and again this season, and between you know just being in the league, it's it's really leveled me up. Let's say. Are you able to quantify in any way the difference about tier one versus the other tiers, whether it's the level of competition or how everyone interacts with each other? Um, quantify. So I'll say maybe there are two things. Um, one thing is you you can't blink. You can't. You know, if a guy if a guy comes into the league, say Cole Caulfield, and is on NA, you know, he's going. Elon's going to have him on the NA spot within you know minutes. Uh, well, relative minutes. He, um, particularly for me, again, being on this side of the Atlantic, it's it's difficult to stay up with the news. Um, when I had Elon on the show on the Stat Attack podcast, he recommended Max Comtois as his uh, player for the rest of the season. And Comtois kind of came good for a few weeks straight after that. So he, keeping your finger on the pulse is really one of the one of the biggest assets that everybody in this league has compared to maybe the lower tiers where um, the interest level, you know, it's high, but it's not kind of insanely high. Um, and the other thing, which I've mentioned a few times on on the Stat Attack podcast, is just the level of um, you know gamesmanship. Um, I can see Dave laughing there. Dave's probably the number one guy in the entire couple for that kind of thing. He uh, he he loves to um, wind people up and you know play the game to the very edge of the game and try and garner any advantage he can by you know like what he was saying earlier about 
uh, agreeing to trades and no, with no counters and then maybe accepting counters, things like that. Just I can't think of anything really else off the top of my head, but um, you really need to both have your wits about you in terms of what's going on in the league and have your wits about you in terms of what's going on uh, in the Kukupful League, so the NHL and the Kukupful. Tom, you want to share something? Yeah, I was, I was going to say, I feel like there's like a thousand more messages, even though our like main thread wasn't busy, the direct messages compared to previous years and other divisions was way more. Uh, I know that like, I'll quantify one thing. I think there's a podcast advantage. Uh, I'm very clear on that. I've made it known on uh, our forums. I think there's a podcast advantage uh, for two in the group. Uh, I won't name names or anything else like that. Uh, but definitely there's a lot of like, doing things to like throw other matchups off to, to help you later on, like to, to help you standings wise. And while like before in other divisions, you kind of like stuck to your lane and it's like, okay, I got to do what's best for me. But now you're trying to like maybe make a trade that sort of has a slight advantage for you later on or, or things like that. So there's definitely a lot of gamesmanship as compared to other leagues. Tom, I got to say, you were saying this when Lewis and I made a trade. Your matchup had nothing to do with that trade at all. Like, I, I really don't know why you think that there was some sort of, like, attempt to help one another. We just made a trade that did not benefit you. And it seemed like you were just salty about that. Uh, yeah, definitely salty. Um, but but at, the, at the same time, if I would have won that week, I would have beaten Lewis and would have had been in like the main playoffs. So that trade for me was a big piece and kudos to Ben and everyone else that dealt with me that week. Cause I sent out, I think like 10,000 messages, especially to Ben. Uh, I literally threw everything at him and he stuck really true to it. And I would just, at, at some point I just like crossed the train tracks and was like, I'm just going to stir this up because I want some drama. Um, but at the same time, that trade, the, the Washington Philadelphia trade, it didn't help me in the future week, but I needed that week against Lewis. And I was trying to get a counter to happen so that Lewis didn't have the extra games played on Sunday, thinking that that would definitely have helped me. Uh, because when you're playing at that level, like the, the amount of times that like Sunday de- decision switch was, was crazy compared to other leagues. So I was just trying to disrupt that. And uh, yeah. And then it got to a point where I was just going Dave Benton. So. I wonder, is it like then more impressive that Dustin won considering he doesn't host a podcast and he didn't take advantage, didn't have a podcast advantage. He was, on the, he was the on the stat attack. He was on the stat attack. Dustin, yeah, you, you got the stat attack bump. I was a guest. <laughs> I was a guest on a podcast, but you guys are all seasoned vets. Little old me taking you out. I think Tom I was a little really- perturbed oh, about that uh, that Washington Philly trade between Ben and Lewis as well, because I was going up against Ben in week twelve. And if I had lost week eleven against Jeff, then I would have actually needed to win that week. So. I thought about speaking up, but I figured, hey, I mean, I wouldn't do any better. Like, I would definitely do something like that if it would benefit me. What is so what no is the belief that was that was bad about this trade? Is it seen as particularly lopsided? I I, I guess I'm confused about this. The voting. Okay, so let's, let's clarify what was the belief. So. Uh, no, John's got a good point. Maybe let's a... let's clarify what the trade was. Unlike Survivor, not everyone has watched every episode of, of what's been going on in your lives. So we do need to clarify what was the trade. When did this happen? And what was the trade? Well, it was Kachurie and JVR for Backstrom and Oshie and somebody else, Bobrovsky was in there too, right? I think that's what the deal was. 
And I, you know, I did feel like I was getting an advantage, but I think Ben was already looking at the playoffs where he knew that there was that two game week for Washington. He knew that Washington would be shut out on the Saturday of the finals, obviously. Um, so, you know, I think he was, he was looking, Ben was already looking ahead, I think at that point to winning later. And I was in a mood where, you know, I had lost to Dave by a fifth of a point or a, a 20th of a point. And I had then kind of spiraled and lost three more or two more matches in a row before I kind of righted the ship. And so I was, I was thinking more short, short term. And then, you know, if I have to deal with two games of good players in the playoffs, then fine. I just need to kind of get to the playoffs. I don't want to get booted out of tier one. Um, so I, my, my feeling was I was thinking short term and Ben was thinking long term. but I think ultimately, and I ended up dropping Bobrovsky too, uh, before too long anyway. I don't know. What do you think? What is your thoughts on this, Ben? Uh, I was, I had an extra, I needed to get somebody off my roster to make roster space. I had a lot of players on IR. I had a full IR at the time. So I needed to go three to two. And uh, I really wanted to stack up on Philly players because that five game week was coming up and I, I knew I needed a guaranteed win to, to get me into the playoffs. Um, And honestly, I thought that I got the two best forwards in the deal. Um, It didn't work out that way. Uh, Oshi was far better than than JVR the rest of the way, but yeah, I, I mean, I honestly thought I was getting the better side of the deal. When you make deals, Ben, like that one, for example, with Lewis, who you obviously know very well, uh, you made four, five deals, as far as I can tell, with Dave, two with Jordan, <laughs> one with Jesse. Are do you have? Are you the kind of player that has like go-to people that you're like, I want to make a deal. I think I can deal with these people. Or do you just send random offers out and see who bites on them? And since apparently Dave always wants to trade, he bites most of the time. I mean, yeah, all of that. Because to me, trading in fantasy hockey is a distinct skill set. Like it's obviously part of it, but like most people have a very static approach to trades. It's like, I'm only going to make a trade if I can like guarantee that I'm going to win and I'm going to negotiate in that way. And you'll like make offers to some people who, you know, they, the way that they respond will dictate whether you're going to come back to them with a trade in the future, whether it's intentional or not. Right. Like I've made offers to people and their counter was so blatantly uh, unequal that I just was like, well, I probably can't, I'm probably not going to make it anything work with this person. Um, and, and so my strategy with trades is, is just to approach everybody from a level that I would talk to them normally. Dave is somebody, like I mentioned this earlier, the reason why I ended up making my counter deal with Dave is because he's a fast trader. You can go to him and be like, what do you think about this? And he'll be like, no, or yes. Or he'll say, no, but I would do this. And you know, sometimes it's not going to be something that you want, but I would say far higher than a uh, far greater chance that it will be workable. Um, and then, you know, somebody like Lewis, I actually was avoiding trading with most of the year because I kind of felt like this is a guy I'm going to have to talk to twice a week about fantasy. I'm not going to be able to like pull the wool over his eyes for fear of like, you know, creating this awkward uh, real life situation where I have to navigate it. Um, but in the end, uh, you, you able, you're able to find, if you're looking for it, you can find deals that might benefit both of you in distinct ways. And so I, I basically look as tra- at trades as win-win opportunities. And I, I approach people based on if I think that we can both benefit from making a swap. Have any of you uh, felt like through all the trading, through all the talking on discord, like this year, have you gotten closer to any of your fellow, uh, tier one members? Have you made any new friends, gotten to know anyone better? 
in particular? No, I hate Ben now. <laughs> a new enemy was made. I definitely think so. Like, I, I definitely talk to a lot of these folks regularly. Um, Jordan's not here, but that's somebody I didn't know at all who I, I would now consider a friend. So I, I think so for me. We should. It's too bad that uh, A, COVID, and B, we live all over the world because it would be fun to have a, I'll go for beers or something and, and continue this reminiscing offside of Zoom. But uh, yeah, it's been cool talking to different people for sure. One we should the, get an apartment uh, together. Yeah. <laughs> Real reality <world>. show. <laughs> that Would that be the ultimate reality show? Lock 14 fantasy managers together in an apartment? Oh my and- God. Yes, a fantasy league. And it's like yep. unlimited moves, unlimited ad drop, <laughs> like something crazy, you know, where it's just like this moves happening all the time. So that's all they have. You you generate it so that like, as you've established tier one, as was said, Mark was saying, you have to pay super close attention to it. So you generate the setting so that you have to pay even more attention to it. It literally has to consume your entire life. Otherwise, you won't be able to get ahead. That'd be insane. And then uh, obviously the games could be broadcast. That's I guess right. maybe it'd be easier because then I guess we'd be leaving our families and like jobs <laughs> behind so we could focus only on hockey. That's true. Um, how do you guys find it uh, balancing jobs, families, things like that? I know Lewis had a new kid recently. I'd imagine that was a difficult. I mean, you know, I can I can rack a baby and and be on the Yahoo app on my phone simultaneously. Luckily, it's easier than a lot of other things that I have to do with with a new kid running around. Um, you know, I think the biggest challenge was actually trying to uh, balance podcasting and new baby. Uh, just making sure that everyone was in bed at a time when Ben and I could actually meet up uh, was sometimes uh, a bit of a challenge there. But uh, no, it was okay. Uh, I think fantasy works pretty well. Yeah, what's up, bud? Uh, example in real time. Well, and the Tom? draft. Oh, where Lewis, uh, I just remember in the draft, Lewis was the babysitter canceled on him. <laughs> oh my god, I forgot about that. Yeah, that was uh, that Daddy, was an adventure too. Me- I, I feel, I feel like I, I, it's kind of weird that like I, Easterners and anyone that's Eastern Standard Time is like super lucky. So Dustin, Mark, anyone else that like is in other time zone, Ben. It's tough. I like took on so much more this year with COVID, and I found myself going about it like. 8.15, like 8.30, and like hours before like going to sleep, I was doing the things that I had to do like from a family perspective. So I found there were so many times that I like missed out on like putting in claims, like and a whole lot of other things that and things that changed so fast, like Vancouver and a bunch of other things like that really derailed so many plans, but I wasn't able to like put the time in to do the things that I would have regularly done this year. And and it's mostly because those the time zones in like the amount of times that I woke up at like 2.08 or 2.21 a.m. So then it would match like the GMT time or whatever that time zone is before 3 a.m. in the morning Eastern time to like put my claims in because I'm like, I forgot. And I would just subconsciously wake up in the morning to be like, I got to make a claim because I didn't do it because I was so gassed from the, the day. Like kudos to you guys in other time zones because that sucks. Mark? Yeah, if I can just jump in here. Um, so my employers, pretty much before COVID, but since COVID as well, they think that I'm this like super dedicated guy because I'm always in work at 7.15 in the morning. But it's actually because the, the day cut off on Yahoo is 8 a.m. So I'm, I'm just getting into work to get those 45 minutes to find out what happened last night and make my moves. Um, but yeah, like that's one of the 
advantages and Dustin might agree with me here on this side of the water is that we can wake up early the next morning and see what's happened the night before whereas you guys it's literally the middle of the night so it yes, maybe swing, yeah. swings I would reiterate that because when I was in the eastern time zone I was always you know waiting up late to try to see what happened in the late night games and trying to edge in a little advantage by seeing what happened in those games and I'd ultimately end up putting in ads at two o'clock in the morning and that's no fun. So I found it actually a little bit easier to manage getting up at six and having a couple hours to review what happened while everybody's sleeping and maybe get a bit of an advantage in that way. Yeah. I feel like maybe there's a problem also if you're like an obsessive person like me, like I found like, I kind of wish the deadline was like at 1am or like even 2am rather than 3am just because yep. sometimes I'll just be like rethinking my decision. You know, like I can't go to sleep. So I'm like, wait, should I bid $1 or $2 or like, which maybe I should put this guy ahead and the, is which goal is even going to play when I'm back on Twitter. Like did the Nashville announce what their starting goal is going to be? No, they never announced what their starting oh, goal is going to be. <laughs> I was like, it was just like, uh, and then finally three o'clock passes. I'm like, I gotta get to bed. <laughs> like, at least it's over now. I have considered how moving to the West Coast would be a lot better because then at least it would happen at midnight and then you could just not worry about it after that. Yeah. But maybe to just show the global nature of the cupful here, can we go around the table a bit and everyone say where they're from? So like, Dustin, where are you right now? Uh, I am from Toronto, but for the last uh, eight or nine months, I've been living in London in the UK. And Dave? Pittsburgh, PA, USA. And Elon? Uh, Good old Toronto, Canada. Dustin's hometown. (laughs) And Mark? Uh, Dublin, Ireland. Tom? Belleville, Ontario, Canada. Lewis? Kalamazoo, Michigan, home of the uh, Cuckupful Chell team. I noticed the other day when I was watching their Twitch stream. And Ben? I'm in St. John, New Brunswick, which is Atlantic Standard Time, one hour ahead of the Eastern time zone. So, so the day so is 4 a.m. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I learned something new <laughs> from that whole experience. Has anyone ever here been in any leagues where it's not like waiver wire, where it's like everyone's a free agent, you can pick them up whenever you want? Yeah, I have can't you, get my have, keeper league to switch to Fab. I wish they would, uh, but so, they they don't want it. It's too easy for people who are on Twitter all the time, like me, to just go in and suck up all the good free agent options. Or I can go to someone who has a crappy team and be like, "Hey, pick this guy up before the second place team does." So, so who here has set an alarm for three o'clock in the morning so that they got up and were able to snag some guy? Definitely. <laughs> And my league, the guys in my league were like, what are you doing? And I'm like, winning? Win- winning. Like, I, I won. Exactly. <laughs> I won. Like, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what else to say there. You got to do what it takes. You don't want to put in a waiver claim. You just want to be the first one to grab the player once he clears waivers, clearly. Mark? Can I just flip uh, flip things around and interview you for a second, John? Um, oh, this obviously no. It wasn't pre, pre-planned. How did your season go? I kind of... Uh, stop paying attention a little bit halfway through the season. How, how did you finish? Maybe that could tie in actually to my uh, closing out the show also, because we're going to be previewing next season of tier one of the couple. I don't know if I that's can right. <laughs> look out, look out tier one. I'm, I'm currently up 286.5 to 194 in the finals. So I'm, I think, I think I'm going to win today. <laughs> I, 
I, I very rarely do I feel comfortable with something, but yes, yeah, so we're at the point where I feel comfortable. It was fun. It was fun in tier three watching you guys in tier one though, too. Like I could see the differences. Like it was dead quiet in my division at the trade deadline. No one, everyone was like, nah, I'm kind of comfortable with my team or whatever and so forth. And, uh, and that was interesting. And, uh, and, but we had some really good players like Ricard played a great season where he grabbed Pasternak um, and that paid off big for him. And then weekly, weekly league, like at the end of the season, he had three penguins and I was terrified because I knew if they all hit, I had no chance and they didn't. And so it, it turns into a blowout, but it shouldn't have been right. Yeah, I mean, congratulations. Yeah, that's really. Sorry, great. I didn't know if you had a follow up. If the interview had a follow up, no, or if it was just was one it. question, one question shootout. That'll but be yes, interesting. Looking, We're going to have a forward. To... No, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say, looking forward to tier one next year. Go ahead, Elon. I was just going to say, like Brian, poor Brian. Like I think he found like a really good format for the tier one auction draft, having you as the co-host, and now he's going to have to go back to the drawing board to find someone else to host with him. Everyone keeps uh, getting promoted. Well, with all the people, the, all the great players that got dumped out of tier that's one, they'll have lots of people to choose from. I believe Brian's listening. So yeah, I guess that's that's your new pool. But before we before we move into um, Elon's uh, preview of next year, the one person we didn't really talk too much yet about their team was Lewis. Because Lewis, your team was kind of in a no man's land there. Like we talked to Tom because he was in the consolation final. We talked to the other guys because they were in the semis and the finals. Lewis, you were in fifth place for the season. You lost in the quarterfinals. Like, what does that do to your season after that point? Like, technically, you're still playing for positions after that. But, like, how do you feel? Sure. So, I mean, I felt like I... I mean, yeah, I felt okay about it. I ended the season where I ended in the in the overall ranking, so that was kind of a boring way to finish, I suppose. Uh, I had a little bit of mental trauma the last couple of weeks because I felt like I had some really good weeks after being eliminated, which was too bad. Including even that that two game Washington week still would have been fine. I, I you know scored really well in there, so that's tough. Um, thinking about how things might have been different, you know, if I had gotten one extra, if a uh, uh, who was, I don't know, I was screaming at somebody to shoot the puck, Josh Norris. If Josh Norris had shot the puck in the waning moments of that match against Dave, I sometimes imagine how things might have turned out differently. Um, I'm really glad to not have had to, to fight to not be relegated because um, I feel like every year you get a chance in Tier 1 is good. My, my dirty secret is I've been in Tier 1 five times and I've never won a playoff round. Um, so that's that's sort of the hump that I need to get over. That's something that I've been very frustrated with. Toronto Maple one, Leafs. Yeah, I was yeah. just going to say that. <laughs> one thing that I would one thing that I would like to do, I think, next year in terms of how I, I built my team, and this was something you actually brought up in the um, uh, when we did the auction draft initially, was I didn't have a ton of wiggle room in terms of you know easily droppable players, um, and I, I really felt good about you know waiting until. You know, I had like last guys in their tiers like Gensel and Connor and paying only what I sort of needed to to get them. Uh, and some of those worked out pretty well. Uh, but what I would like to do maybe next time is spend a little more on, you know, upgrade one of those $40 guys to a $60 guy who can really change a week because I feel like I didn't have someone like that so much. I had a lot of steady, reliable guys, but not big time game changers. Uh, and then 
that leaves maybe a little more room at the bottom of my roster where I'm willing to turn people over a little faster. Uh, one thing that really did pay off for me well was I won Tony D'Angelo, and then I thought to be safe, I should win Adam Fox too. So I sort of look at that as paying instead of 12 and 11 for those two defenders as just paying $23 for whoever was going to end up as the power play one uh, defenseman for, for New York. And D'Angelo helped me by being a total head case. Um, that just sort of was, so I guess that was the type of player that was attracted to my uh, roster because I made that trade with Dave to get Biddington, who I thought would be kind of a solid guy who plays LA and San Jose a lot. And then while the trade was processing, he had his meltdown game where he kind of went crazy and then went on that horrible skid. So that was unfortunate too. Uh, just a little too much crazy on my team this year, I think. The the draft is interesting too, because in those top six uh, managers this year, none of you spent more than $45 on a single player. Uh, when we look at the big names, McDavid, McKinnon, Dreisaitl, like they're all, they're all on teams that wound up at the bottom of the table. Are we thinking that that is all random chance? Or are we thinking that uh, uh, Mark's, Mark's shaking his head though? But then again, Mark said he went too far the other direction, right? By balancing out his team too much. Yeah, may, maybe too much, but that, that stat that you just gave there kind of um, reinforces my initial strategy. So maybe I'll maybe I'll rethink it in the in the next few months that we have to to plan for next season. Um, I know if, that, Jeff, that, yeah. if Jeff was still here, he'd say that uh, he didn't mess up by spending all that money on McDavid. He just got met, screwed up by the schedule and all those Edmonton games getting canceled when he needed those wins. Yeah, I think studs and duds can work really well when you're willing to go out and spend your fab fast and early. Uh, and this was the first year where I really felt like I spent my fab and never really had a point later on where I was like, oh, I wish I had, you know, a few more dollars here or there. Like, I think they really paid off for the most part, either, you know, turning to guys who were really productive for me uh, or then maybe became parts of a later trade. But, you know, I had Robertson, I had JVR when he was really hot off the wire, um, trying to think of a couple other guys. But I felt really good about blowing my fab fast, even though a lot of times I was spending way more than I needed to. I was doing that thing where it's like two in the morning. I'm like, ah, oh, I got to, you know, push it up a few more dollars there. <laughs> now, uh, this was the, oh, sorry, go ahead, Elon. Oh, sorry. I mean, I, I, we could talk forever, right? There's so much to chat about. I was actually interested to look because you said this thing about how all the top scores in Kakupful ended up on non-playoff teams, but the inverse is actually true for defensemen. I just looked at the top ranking defensemen in Kakupful and actually the top five defensemen are all on teams that made the playoffs. And uh, I don't know if you guys want to try to guess a so Lewis, you already mentioned Adam Fox, who you got in that cheap deal. Once you consider, or, you know, you got in that smart draft of taking D'Angelo and Fox, he was fifth in a couple scores. Obviously that's as of now that includes the playoffs, but uh, so uh, 250 couple points. Anyone want to try to guess who the top four are yeah. above Adam well, Fox? Well, so, you yeah. got Jake, you got Jacob Chikrin, but you only paid three bucks for him. Yeah. Basically so, all this was just leading up to me bragging about how I got Chikrin. For yeah, three bucks. There, there you go. <laughs> Number one, currently of all of wow. the couple, Jacob Chikrin's currently for leading $3. But how much did a nurse? Oh, wait, I don't know if you guys want to, or maybe it's not good content to have like a bunch yeah, of no, no, go ahead. Go nurse, ahead. Nurse, nurse was 14. I think I got nurse. Nice. I don't, I don't uh, regret that, though. I don't regret that. And Dustin has one, probably the more. Well, actually, Dustin and Ben both have more obvious guys that were probably meant for a lot of money. 
But I'd say that's a unique difference here too between forwards and defensemen we see. That some of the top ranking defensemen there went for very little, whereas the top ranking forwards all went for a lot of money. Even Marner, who people would say overperformed this year, went for $41 in the draft, mm-hmm. right? Whereas uh, Dustin was saying he got head from 36 and he was scared at paying too much. He thought he was paying too much for that, right? Yeah, so Hedman really had an impressive season. So he's third does, on the list. Does, does that mean defensemen are the kind of player where it's possible to spend less and get these big swings? Because because as a forward, I think we're fairly confident certain forwards are going to play on the top power play, but there was no guarantee Fox was going to be on the top power play, right? There, there, there may be certain ways that a defenseman is deployed that can change and create these wild swings as opposed to a forward. I definitely think that's a good insight. By the way, the other so the names are Chikrin, Hamilton, Hedman, Nurse, Fox are the top five. And yeah, so obviously Hamilton and Hedman went for a lot, and the other three you got it for pretty good deals. While other people, you know, were spending lots of money on like the Roman Yozis and I don't know, Brent Burns maybe of the world who didn't do as well. But yeah, I think it's interesting. Actually, like going into this year's draft, I was specifically thinking I wanted to spend more of my money on forwards and less on defensemen, just because I figured you could get like a decent, reliable. Like I didn't think Chikrin obviously would be like as amazing as he was, but I figured like I could get like a Chikrin or a you know, like Ryan Ellis, like one of these just guys who like seems to always be good enough and like a solid player and if you get him for so cheap. So why spend a lot of money on a big name? Like, like Hedman obviously worked out for Dustin, but it also could have been like, you know, Roman Yosi. And I'm sure Dustin, you would have like, I'm sure if you would have been outbid for Hedman, you probably would have gone for Yosi for the same price because Yosi went for even more in the draft. So sometimes yeah, a bit more luck, I guess, with uh, spending on defensemen. Dude, would much rather it- uh, 12 Jacob Chikrins for the price yeah. of one Hedman. That would have been nice. Just roster Jacob Chikrins. That would be a good team. You're going to yeah. get Elon all hot and bothered. So, <laughs> yeah. so does anyone have a different strategy now next year going into the draft from what they were planning this year? Don't give him any information. He's, he's trying to get information. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no, everything exactly the same. Oh, okay. I'll keep that in mind. Tom, and- would you draft uh, the two top, like most expensive goalies again if you were uh, doing an auction again? not next year like it, it, with a condensed schedule i think this year is such an anomaly uh and that's where like i really i'm so happy for everyone that's going on to tier one i'm kind of like hurt that this was my one time in tier one and i'll be back um <laughs> but that being said it's like this year was so weird with like condensed schedules that it's, it's hard to quantify like strategy from this year to next year really truly like I wouldn't go two goalies. I think I've been notoriously in other years to get to tier one have been like zero goalies and run who's hot and switch them out quick. However, with two goalies this year, it was good because they both did really, really well, but I was limited in movement. Like I couldn't move people nearly as much and no one wants to take on a goalie. I think I offered Hellebuck to playoff people like no tomorrow because he had that, what, 11 days or eight, 10 days of like, no, no gains because of all of the North stuff and Vancouver stuff. Uh, so I probably wouldn't go as hot with goalies, but that being said, like, I don't think you can go wrong with Vasilevsky really, truly. I never really appreciated him until this year, uh, having him go in and the amount of shutouts that he would get, like, who knows, he might get a shutout today. It doesn't, I, I can jinx that because it's not going to help me at all. Um, but like just so many in those points come in, but at the same time next year will be so different. Dave, you wanted to share? 
Yeah, I was specifically avoiding, I mean, I always do, but I was specifically this year, I was avoiding studs and duds just for what came to fruition. All it takes is someone to be in contact with their family and their whole team's out for like a week. And in a season where you only have 12 matchups, that could be devastating if you spent, yeah, like 80 bucks on McDavid or something like that. And that's a huge part of your roster. The problem is that obviously a bunch of other people were thinking that too. And it only takes one other team to save their money for it to completely ruin your strategy later into the auction draft. So I, but I think like if you look at past seasons, like Jesse and Ben have done really good at studs and duds. So while it might be poo pooed because of this past season, if it opens up the door for someone to do it next year, they could be in a pretty good spot. Yeah. I, I would, almost uh... I would call back to the goalie thing. I, I really think this year there was a lot of opportunity with goaltenders just because the the A-gab discourse has, has really taken over in like a couple where people are very hesitant to roster goalies and add players, uh, add goalies because, you know, maybe they won't even start for you this week or maybe like you have one game where they blow you up and then you're just, you're biased against them. You're not going to want them on your team anymore. I there's so many opportunities to add goalies who are extremely valuable in the cupful. And uh, I just felt like they were, they were available throughout the entire season. Which makes trades like Tom was saying nearly impossible. Like no one wants to trade a goalie or will give up anything valuable for them. Like I started the year with Laner and Bishop on the IR uh, Bishop just sitting on my IR, which he did for the whole year. And at one point during the year, I had four goalies on my roster just from picking them up because people were dropping valuable goalies and they were worth something. And I, I ended the year with just Tristan Jari. That was it. So a complete turnover of, of goalies throughout the year. I think with the depth of the league there and, and the way people feel about them, there's just not, they provide value and yet somehow they don't have value at the same time. Well, I think also there's just so many teams that are playing like, you know, tandems or just like running different goalies that there were just like, I'm sure if we were to count like how many goalies were fantasy relevant throughout the season, it's well more than the number that you can fit on all of the teams in a couple division. Like, you know, like out of nowhere, like Jack Campbell and UC Saros, there was like weeks where I had both of them and they were like giving me huge wins until the playoffs when they disappeared. Well, sorry. Well, anyway, but like, you know what I mean? Like there were all these like random goalies that just were sometimes popping up and doing amazing. If and so, take, I, yeah. If you take away bench spots, I'll definitely be probably running two high tier goalies. Yeah, that would make sense. Probably not if there's still bench spots. On the topic of uh, studs and duds, too, uh, the one Mia culpa I will share, which is so during the draft, uh, the draft show, I made a very bold statement, which was I would have taken Austin Matthews first overall, right? Over, I had him rated higher than McDavid and everyone else, and Matthews did good this season. Like he performed, he I think he has the second most cupful points overall. And the reason I said, uh, which seems good from my perspective, that, okay, that was a good choice. But the problem is McDavid did even better. And the reason I said McDavid wasn't my number one option was room for growth. I said, he, he, he paced for 120 points last season. What do you expect him to do? Pace for 140 points this year? Yep. Apparently. <laughs> but to be fair, 
for the people who had McDavid in the fantasy regular season, it was more like that 120 point pace. You know, it was only like once you're eliminated with McDavid that these past couple of weeks, he's getting like, it's rare for him not to have three or four points a game. And now all of a sudden he's like potentially going to even hit a hundred points on the season in a 56 game season. So that guy has just really turned it on even more than usual. How much are we discounting certain things this year because of the pandemic, because of the divisions? Are we saying Matthews isn't going to get that many points next year? McDavid isn't going to get that many points next year. Are we adjusting our math in our spreadsheets for next year because of this? Because I plan to. I mean, that's a fun one. Off the top of my head, obviously, we're going to have a whole offseason and I'm going to be reading a lot. Like, it's always fun to see everyone's projections and hear everyone else's podcast about how they're projecting. I think it's like, you know, each player is its own specific example. Like, off the top of my head, I'm just kind of thinking, like, it's more about, I think I'm going to not count the bad seasons as harshly. You know, like if a play, like, you know, if a player had a really down year, I think there's like a lot more potential excuses for why they had a down year than usual. Cause like there could have been like different COVID exposures on their team or like, you know, obviously it's like each player is an individual case, but I feel like, you know, something like Carter Hart, I talked about with uh, Slim Cliffy a couple of days ago and it's like, he had a terrible year, but I, I'm not like, okay, Carter Hart sucks now. Like, I think it's very possible that, you know, on a normal off season and a normal season, maybe he comes in and Philly and he are, you know, back to being what we expected them to be. I think I huh? fade more division, mm. uh, like point production. I just think I fade it a little bit in relative compared to other divisions, just simply because of scoring. It won't be that high playing other teams' defenses and all of that kind of stuff. I think that right, just yeah. happens. Yeah, people might have overperformed. I know that uh, Dom Lucision takes that into account in his spreadsheet. He like looks into like the teams they're playing, and as, as he comes up with his model, so maybe now he'll scale. He'll, I'll bet you he'll do that too, like scale back some of these points. Maybe when he's doing his weighting. So I know like the way he comes up with his projections is he's like very much like not his opinion at all. And he's just waiting like last year's stats, the previous year, the previous year for different weights. So maybe he'll take into account, yeah, like which divisions they were in last year as part of the weighting. I think that would make a lot of sense. So I've got two more topics I wanted to cover. And then Elon's got a great preview of next year's tier one for us. So the first thing was we were talking about trades. This was the first year that we were allowed to trade fab. And a lot of you guys traded fab. A lot of you guys countered by changing the amounts of fab. There was one deal that had like $40 in fab. Does anyone feel in a deal in which they received fab that it was relevant or worth it to you? And how did you feel about that? Uh, I'm happy to go first, I guess. Unless, like, I'll just say quickly, like I made a deal where I traded Taylor Hall for fab to Tom uh, and I got Eberly, and then I used that. Fa- I believe that's the fab that I used. Either I used that fab to get those two flames. I got Giordano and... Yeah, I think I ended up using that fa- fab to get Giordano and Gaudreau after they were dropped, and I wouldn't have been able to get those guys otherwise. I specifically saw that uh, Dustin had 11 fab left, and he could use a defenseman. So I And I saw that I was higher in priority than him for the tiebreaker, so I bid Dustin on Giordano just to make sure I got him. Uh, not that it, not that I got a chance to uh, throw it in his face at any point in the playoffs, which would have been fun. Until but, just uh, now. <laughs> well, no, no, I, I mean, uh, it would have been fun if Giordano just like scored a hat trick against you, of course. But yeah, but yeah well, you did so me a ha- favor with Markstrom. So uh, I got oh a little bit God. out of it too. Yeah, that's true. We traded flames. How about that? <laughs> Giordano wasn't this... mine to have, but we'll say that. 
I think that the uh, the one thing that or one thing that really stood out to me about tier one this year compared to what I what I assume it's like in all of the the lower divisions uh, in terms of trade activity is that being able to trade Fab essentially made it so that trading was like a another roster move. It was you're essentially able to to max out moves on your roster, and I don't know if other people were doing this, but like if on a Friday I was ahead by 50, I, I reached out to a few people like, Hey, you have any interest in my, this player going on Sunday and, uh, and vice versa. If I was down big, I, I reached out to a few people on Friday, just like, Hey, what about X or Y? Cause why not, why not try and juice that, uh, that schedule? Like I said, this is a, or like we've said many times in a compressed season, you, you need to find those types of advantages. Uh, big brain thinking from Ben. It's like, yeah. that's why you're the second place. Well, well, I think it helps with you guys having such a, close-knit division where you're always communicating with each other and you're getting trades back and forth a lot. Like I had one, I had one person offer me in my division being like, Hey, you know, Manth has not been performing. If you're thinking of dropping him, which I was at the time, and I eventually did, you're thinking of dropping him. Maybe we can work out a deal, you know, fab or whatever, some player you want instead of using a pickup. But it got to the point where I, I didn't have time to do that. Like I needed to make a pickup for like the next day or whatever and I don't have enough time to send out the, the offer and wait the day. And who knows, maybe there was some type of counter and then it doesn't end up going through and, and so forth. So like, to me, the counter mechanic actually kind of worked against the fab trading because I didn't want to do it because I wasn't sure when the deal would end up going through. But yeah, it's a good point. Uh, yeah. You have this perfect plan and someone counters and all of a sudden you're not, you didn't make the pickup because you made the trade and like, yeah, very tricky. The uh, the season this year wasn't as long as most seasons, but it still felt long. There's a lot of emotional waves and emotional changes throughout the year. You know, you finish with the draft and you're all pumped up on adrenaline on it. How do you guys deal with the drain of the season? Do you find there are certain specific times of a season that are kind of like doldrums where it's you, 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 to, to, to kind of stay interested? Someone's holding up coffee. Tom's holding up coffee. That's how he stays interested. I think it was a oh, beer. No, not coffee. That was his, <laughs> it's a sorry, that was his beer. <laughs> how do you how do you guys how do you guys get through the drain of the season? And and when do you find a season draining? I think usually for me it's around Christmas, January, like the regular drain for uh, as a fan of hockey where like, you know, you, you kind of tune out for a few months after after the season gets going and and then you get really excited once the playoffs begin to ramp up. I actually I have a very very short attention span. Uh, and I struggle with that in fantasy in an average year this year, while it was crazy draining and while I am exhausted and very prepared for this season to be done. I also found like the shorter season made it a bit easier in that regard because it, it, it did end much sooner than, than the average season. I'd like to, I'd like to, and maybe Dave, you can chime in because I think Dave, you had a similar like starting sort of like, bad luck of like losses uh it was just like once it got to a stage i think i was like one in five and i was like almost like ready just to like throw in the towel being like what do i got left uh, it was very hard to like mentally get yourself amped up for things because like i was one in five basically half of the schedule is already gone what are my chances to get in and all of that kind of stuff at that point i think it was like week six i was like my brain was so turned off that i i, I had to like put in like almost motivation for myself to be like, okay, Tom, put some effort into this because you don't want to like throw the league or anything. Uh, but there was times where it was like, 
definitely really rough that way. Just because you don't have time to rebound. I know Ben's saying like it's not as long, um, but there's like a little bit more variance and forgiveness with a longer schedule as compared to this one where I felt it was very easy to like the waves. It's like you have big highs, but you also have real big lows. Yeah, I know for me, like like you said, I'm always very good at recognizing, okay, like I need to turn it on, you know, week 15 to make sure, you know, by like week 20 or whatever it is, I'm in a good spot or whatever. But this year, yeah, it was like the third matchup. I was one and one and then I lost and I was like, crap, because I knew the next week I was in a bad spot just because of games played or whatever. And then from there, I'm one and three. And from there, it's like better start preparing for the relegation tourney, <laughs> like at that point. So it was pretty much immediately brutal <laughs> right away. I never got that. I think too. Oh, go ahead, Tom. Was anyone in a losing like on a like under 500 after week six, then like turned it around. I'd like to know, I haven't looked at those stats, but I'd love to know like who is under 500 and then made it. It seems like three and three. we're up there. Yeah. Ben was, I, I started guess, one and three and then I, I, I went on the stat attack and won seven of my last eight to make the playoffs stat <laughs> attack bump. Thank you, Mark. It's I a thing. I need to find my uh, DMs. I'm pretty sure that Ben, you DM'd me like right after the draft being like, I totally messed up that draft. I'm like so upset. Like this is going to be, and I was like trying to console. You're like, your team is so good. Like (laughs) like, you're telling me, you know, like pumping me like, I, uh, man, I wish I drafted a team like yours. And then meanwhile, like, 13, 14 weeks later, you're knocking me out in the semis. It's like, Brian also was being very nice to me at the time. And then the other day was like, yeah, you definitely had the worst team coming out of the draft. I was like, thanks, Brian. I know. <laughs> uh, just to tie something that Dave and Tom said together quickly. I think that, uh, you know, that, that feeling that you kind of have to win every week in the shortened season was also what contributed and the addition of the fab uh, trading, I think is what contributed to, that sort of, I'm going to make a move that might win me this week and then I'll deal with the repercussions later. Um, and, you know, that's sort of what Ben was talking about, right? If you were in a good spot where you felt like you could win your week and you've got like a Saturday, Sunday guy, that's someone that you can dangle in front of someone for some fab or maybe a lower end player that could be really interesting. So I wonder if that's going to impact the number of trades that take place next year because we're not desperately trying to win each week as it comes up. It's not quite the same uh, level of urgency. Yeah, I actually felt the same as you, Lewis. I think that was my big, my biggest takeaway of like a lesson learned for next year is I think I spiraled a bit at, at times and like sort of started freaking out and making trades that maybe I shouldn't have just because I was thinking too short term. And it's like I had a good thing going. I like had some bad luck weeks where I just went up against like really strong teams. And like, I think I need to really uh, learn how to, you know, stick with the plan as they say, and not veer. But sometimes you have, like, I don't know, I really got in my head, like, well, look at this, there's only two weeks left. And if I lose this, and if this person wins this, I was like, it was technically possible for me to get eliminated if I didn't win, like, this crucial matchup. And then you start making moves. And then afterwards, it's like, wow, I didn't even need to do that. And now my team is shorthanded. I imagine you felt the same, Lewis. And then so maybe we were both a little bit more hobbled going into the playoffs than we would have liked. Meanwhile, Dustin is I- just cruising the whole time, <laughs> able to just enjoy the ride, pick up Malkin and Sagan just in case. That's the advantage, I think, of uh, getting those early dubs and yeah. just feeling confident about your team and knowing that maybe you can take a few L's down the stretch and it won't make too much of a difference, especially when it looked promising that I was going to get the buy. I didn't have to worry so much. And I saw Big Ben coming up against me and I said, who cares if he <laughs> blows me out by 80 points, right? I still got my buy and I can I can uh, start preparing my team for uh, week 13, week 14. 
Yeah. Plus, think, you don't have the emotional drain that like someone like Tom or like other of us were talking about. Like, you know, when you I think losing like, yeah, I know, like, John, when you asked the question, you were like, is the long or the shorter season was like more emotionally draining. I think for a lot of us, I don't want to speak for everyone, but I'd imagine it's like losing is draining. <laughs> like when you lose a yeah. week, it's like, ugh. So like, and whenever I win, it's like so much energy. Like if I, if I win every week, I could do a season forever. I will never get tired of it. It's fun. Yeah. The well, effort then, is worth it. It's rewarding if you're getting the W's, but uh, if it's not going your way, then it's a lot, lot more difficult to stay motivated. I think the biggest thing for me was just across all of my fantasy uh, competition is just reeling in the number of leagues. I like many of us here, right? I've had years where I've been in seven, eight or more leagues all with different formats. So you're targeting different types of players and you really have to be on every single type of player and category and statistic. And it's draining to be like that. And this year, I think maybe I had success because I limited myself to only three leagues that had, and two of them had relatively similar formats. And so I wasn't constantly making like 30 ads per week because I'm always going to make every ad that I can. And I can't not do that. So if I can give any bit of advice, I would say try to try to reel in the number of leagues, especially if you know you're really motivated going into the draft, but you know by the end of the season, you're not going to care about the outcome of 50% of those leagues anyway. So why put in the season-long effort? Words of wisdom and warning from the ultimate champion, Dustin. Congratulations to Dustin. We're so excited for Ooh. you. Results pending. Yeah, Result, that's right. You never know what'll happen if Robbie Fabry shows up in the next thirty minutes for Ben and gets five goals. But just uh, do wait. <laughs> but Stop you guys, will, you guys will have a chance to go up against each other again next year. Elon, do you want to talk to us about what next year's tier one is going to look like? Yeah, another stacked group. Unfortunately, also for the people who are going up to tier two and even tier three, you're also getting a stacked group of the people who are not sticking around in tier one this year, as we've discussed. But yeah, let's just quickly say, yeah. so the people that are going to be in tier one next year, we've got, of course, uh, Dustin and Ben, who were the finalists, and then myself and Marcus, and then uh, Lewis and Joe, who clear, who, uh, that's the, all the teams that made the playoffs in tier one. Then we have Jordan who won the uh, relegation tourney to stick around in tier one. And then we've got seven new competitors coming in. And uh, the first one has already been mentioned on this show. Jeremy Doc Doc Gusev from Ottawa tier two, not only won the fast track, but then also got in to tier one, the old fashioned way. And he even did it with a win. He only needed to come in second place in tier two to get the old fashioned promotion into tier one, but he's still coming in. So congrats to Jeremy. And then he beat Harrison in tier two Ottawa. So Harrison's also going to be joining us in tier one. Then in tier two, San Jose, you got Kyle is going to be the ultimate champion uh, who beat Brian in the quarterfinals, by the way. And then he rode that all the way to the win. And he uh, defeated Brandon Weave, the one who made our logo and now he's going to be joining us brandon in tier one as well then we have the three tier three winners so that's the tom and marcus from last year uh i guess and there would have been one more tier three winner i think that might be joe actually who is now uh sticking in tier one uh so those tier three winners are going to be knife town toddlers and binghamton tier three obviously results pending but it's looking pretty sure so that's patrick then we've got our good friend and host of the Stat Attack and host of the Tier 1 Auction Draft, John Newhold, who, as he said, he's uh, destroying a 286-point week. Uh, do you have any more games coming to try to get you close to 300? Or are you, oh, Yeah, no. I, I had a couple of uh, 
I had a couple of bids in there when I wasn't 100% sure I was going to win. So I just kind of let them go through. So it added two more players for today. Hey. So I, I felt kind of bad, like I was piling on. But I mean, I could lose 90 point lead somehow. I, I'm not quite sure how, but I don't want to be that guy who like doesn't make that final move and like loses somehow. I really feel like you don't feel bad about using your ads, try to maximize points. That's what this uh, game is all about. So uh, congratulations. It'll be really interesting to play with you after discussing with you all year and hearing you uh, talk about all the couple stats. You were the one with the numbers. And then that means to finish this off, we've got the winner of Fralunda Tier 3, who is Modern Malkin Mika, who I've definitely been in a league with before. I, I didn't get a chance to check the past things, but Mika someone who's been around for a while. Mika Matty, I believe. Uh, so uh, he will be a fun competitor as well. And yeah, that's it. That rounds out Tier 1 for next year. And now we have all summer to rest and recuperate and be ready. And uh, I'm really excited to see how that's going to go. Dustin, right now, how would you rank your confidence that you're going to first like be a two-time winner, the first ever two-time-in-a-row winner, and then have also your confidence of sticking around in Tier 1 uh, one more year after next one? I have very little confidence about either of those things. <laughs> but I'll feel a little better when Dave sends me my belt. Oh, nice. Definitely. Uh, we could uh, Keeping Carlson Productions will foot the bill of any shipping costs. If you're nice. actually willing to send that belt, <laughs> that belt over, just let me no, know. No, it's going to be tough, right? Like I said, I felt really fortunate this season. And uh, hopefully my luck continues into next season. But it's going to be a tall, tall ask for sure with uh, the group of guys that are staying and the group of guys that are coming up. If I come 14th again, then uh, at least I can say I was a champ for a year. Yeah. I mean, I like to, th I think this, I don't know if you guys agree, like I, the, to me, this is like the hardest league I've ever been in. And I think climbing up in a couple isn't so easy because it's all these like intense fantasy nerds. So I think Dustin, you definitely have this like accomplishment that you could, I think you could legitimately say you're the best fantasy player in the world. I'll say it. Like, I think that wow. a couple tier one, I don't know who else could go against you, but uh, I think this is uh, a huge accomplishment and like, congratulations. Wow. One day I hope well, that's to very nice to say. But and if that's true, then it's only because I've been listening to you and Brian for all these years. I've been soaking up the wisdom and I'm just using it against you now. Ah, you should. Uh, well, yeah, you're, as we discussed, you're one of the only ones that doesn't have a podcast here. And so uh, clearly you have some wisdom of your own to uh, share with others. All right. And uh, so, John, I guess uh, thank you so much for hosting this. Want to take us out? Thanks for having me. And thanks for everyone who participated in the cupful this year. If you're listening to this and you're not currently a participant in the cupful, make sure to sign up. It's just the $5 a month patron during the season. And you see how much fun we have on Discord, how much fun we have making trades and bids with each other and counters. And the draft is fantastic. Uh, we're able to enjoy the slow draft this year. And, uh, and I know you guys didn't get to enjoy the slow draft because you had the auction, but the slow draft was fascinating because there was so much ability to talk with everyone and get to know everyone in the division as we went along. It was great. So the cupful is a fantastic experience and uh, it doesn't take long. Thanks to the fast track, it can be even one year and you, a new player, could be in tier one. Man, we definitely uh, appreciate your hype, John. And yeah, definitely everyone come in. And we'll definitely give people lots of notice over the summer to make sure you sign up. You're not going to miss it. If, as long as you're listening to Keeping Carlson or following us on Twitter or like paying attention to us in any way, you'll know with plenty of time when you need to sign up and how to get in. Uh, so yeah, thanks so much, everyone, for joining. This has been so fun. Thanks for a great season. And uh, good luck to anyone who still has leagues pending uh, the rest of the actual regular season. I hope you all are very successful. See ya.